Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of them on the homepage. Today, a dystopian view of what could come of the Ukraine-Russia conflict and how it could impact all of us. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the Store tab for a great way to do that. We just designed some thought-provoking beach towels for summer you'll love to show off and make a statement with at the beach or the pool, or hang them in your guest bathroom. They feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking, and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the ION Awards for Off-Narrative Accurate Reporting. Visit CherylAckison.com and click the Store tab. There are many different viewpoints you can find about what went wrong in the buildup to the Russia-Ukraine invasion and what should happen next and what will happen next. One of the most surprising things to me is how many analysts are bringing up the nuclear option, the possibility that Russian President Putin or countries on the other side would actually use nuclear weapons. This is a conversation I thought I'd never hear in my lifetime. I just thought nukes were off the table among rational parties and only maybe the stuff of rogue actors or individual terrorists. But this is very serious and very real, even if hopefully still a long shot at this point. That's some of what I talk about with Colonel Daniel Davis. He's a retired Army lieutenant colonel, a senior fellow and military expert for defense priorities. A little later in this podcast, we'll hear more about his interesting military and public background. But first, here are his comments about Ukraine and Russia, starting with a bit of historical context. There is like centuries of relationship between Russia and Ukraine. Both nations derive their origins out of the Kiev area, both of them. So they have a long joint history but they also have lots of chaotic history, especially during the Soviet period in the 20th century, actually before World War II, during World War II, and then after World War II, there's lots of moving around and people, parts of the country being given to one, parts of it taken away from the other. So there's lots of chaos, things left unresolved. Once the Soviet Union fell apart in the 1990s, all of those old things now, all the, the shackles came off and now everybody wants to try to put things back in the way that they want them. And, of course, both of them think that things belong to themselves. And so when people want to move separate ways, it just uh, creates chaos and animosity. If you can 
make the points we just talked about a moment ago, you started telling me, what are the ways you say that the United States could have played a role or the West in general in avoiding this? Yeah, we had at least three golden opportunities to have prevented this war in the past. Number one, after we had the first round of NATO expansion in 1997, we basically took most of what used to be the Warsaw Pact nation and incorporated into NATO. So now that instead of having the 16 members of NATO against the Warsaw Pact in the USSR, there's no more USSR. It's now fragmented, and most of the Warsaw Pact is now in NATO. Problem solved. Now that our, exper- our history, I'm sorry, our security should be much better off that. So we should have stopped right there. But we wanted to expand it even further. So by the 2004, we expanded up to the Baltics. And again, if Russia didn't like it, but they were willing to live with it. If we had stopped right there and just secured what we had and just solidified that and then started working on a new security arrangement with Russia, then all of Europe could have been at peace and, or at least stable. There's always going to be some disputes between the east and west of Europe. But it could have been, it could have been a, a very passive situation to where it's just now commerce and those kinds of disputes. We didn't take that. And then the last golden opportunity is when Putin, after showing in 2008 by having limited military incursion into Georgia to keep them out of NATO, 2014 by seizing Crimea away from Ukraine, in both cases expressly saying it was because of NATO advancement up towards his border, we had the last chance in the early in uh, or late last year when he had the big buildup and said, I am serious. In December, he said, I don't know why y'all don't believe me. This red line, I mean it. And he had already shown that he means it with force just a few years earlier than that. And he put on the table, he said, my number one goal is no eastward expansion. Let's negotiate about it. But both President Biden and all of the NATO leadership just patently refused to even discuss it. I mean, they wouldn't even negotiate on it. And when they rejected his last red line plea, I think that baked in Putin's decision and now he's going to go because he realizes the only way for him to accomplish his goal is through force. He tried to get it through negotiations. He couldn't get it. So then he went by force because he calculated Putin that the, there was a bigger risk to have his to his security to have NATO on his border than the, the sanctions and all the other things that would certainly follow if he took the military action. We misunderstood, we, we totally missed that his calculations and that's what matters for war and peace. To reiterate that, Putin's mindset, the Russian president, beyond whatever else he may want to do to bring old Soviet countries back together, he was concerned that the Western alliance called NATO may be coming to his doorstep if NATO let Ukraine join. Right, right. Which 100%, it's a 1,200-mile border. It's not you know, just a portion of the edge like on the Baltics, which they already had. This is like on the heartland right towards Moscow. And, and he just said, there is no way we're going to allow that. And look, we have to be honest with ourselves. We cannot say that we would go crazy if China or Russia tried to make a military alliance with Mexico and bring troops into their country and train their troops, you know, right on our border. We would go crazy if they very thought of that. Now, it is unrealistic in the extreme to suggest that Putin wouldn't have the exact same reaction on his border. And so instead of making us safer, every signal in the world said that you keep going this way, you're going to bring situation to the brink of and probably over the brink of war. And we got exactly that. It was predictable. It was logical. We ignored it.
But you think the U.S. and the West should have offered some assurances through negotiation that Ukraine's not going to be let into NATO. Absolutely. Why, why should we agree to do that? Do we want Ukraine in NATO? That, that's, that's one of the big points here. If, if you could say that having Ukraine in NATO would be a benefit to the alliance, then you could say, wow, this is going to be a hard decision because, man, that's what Putin wants, but it's also good for us. That's not the case. This was bad for us. It was always going to be bad. Part of the NATO requirements for admitting new members specifically says they have to, two things. They have to have all their internal disputes settled. Obviously, there's a civil war in Ukraine, so that's not settled. And they have to have border issues settled. With Russia, they don't. So on those two factors alone, they would never qualify, at least indefinitely, as far as you can see. But the other thing that it requires is that the alliance itself be strengthened and its security be strengthened by bringing any member into it. And obviously, bringing a country in that is on the border with Russia, that they're already saying that probably would mean war for us and we will not tolerate it in the strongest diplomatic language then that is going to weaken the strength, the, the alliance, because now then, if there is a border clash between those two, instead of what we have now, you would have all 30 nations with their Article 5 guarantees on the hook, and we would all have to go to war for Ukraine. That was plainly evident for years, so it was foolish to the extreme to even think about bringing Ukraine into NATO. So that should have been an easy call to like, okay, cool, let's take that off the table. We don't want that doesn't Ukraine help us anyway. anyway. So if that prevents war, that's a win-win. And then we'll just worry about our, our current borders and keep NATO safe and everybody's a winner. But we couldn't do that. It reminds me a little bit of, I don't, again, I don't know too much about it, but the Cuban Missile Crisis, weren't we concerned that the Soviets wanted to be so close in Cuba, put some forces there and military... I guess, missiles very close to offshore Florida. We didn't want that either. And look, even before we knew that there were active nuclear missiles on Cuba, you had the Joint Chiefs of Staff and, and all the military commanders not just uh, advocating war, but preparing for war. They had invasion plans. I mean, they were ready to go all out to prevent the Soviet Union from getting 90 miles off our shore. Now, imagine if it, was, if it wasn't off our shore, but it was on the border with California, on the border with Texas or something like that. I, I mean, probably the president wouldn't have been able to, you know, hold back the, the military. Well, that's the situation that we're creating, the dilemma for, for Putin. So we didn't react that way. And, and it's irrational to suggest that he should react a different way than we did. Some people might say you're talking about Putin in a way as if he is rational and reasonable. Do you think he is or regardless of what the United States and NATO had promised, would we be here anyway? Vladimir Putin is a cold, calculating leader that is not, doesn't have any problem with bloodshed. And he doesn't care if somebody dies to get something done that he thinks is good. That is, that is the baseline. He's got a long history of that. So clearly that's his point. But he is also not stupid and he is not uh, careless for the most part. Uh, and he is calculating and he is not going to take a position that he calculates uh, is not in his interest and that he will change things. And he's, he does not seek violence for violence sake. This idea that he's analogous to Hitler is absurd. Hitler was absolutely a power hungry. And he said so for, you know, a, a decade before he rose to power that that's what he wanted. And he made good on it. Putin has said he wants to keep what he has. He has been adamant that 
he does not have any interest in going westward. And look, it doesn't even matter if he wants to. He knows that we have a nuclear umbrella over here and that he has a nuclear umbrella over here. And so if anybody crosses, you know, anybody's red lines, somebody's getting a missile and then it's mutual assured destruction. He knows that and he is not going to risk the destruction of his own country to do, take something he doesn't even want. And so he is calculating and, and reasonable in that sense. You brought up my next topic. Some people took a statement that President Putin made the other night as a veiled threat to use nuclear weapons when he warned anybody against interference or something really big they'd never seen before would happen. Yeah. How did you take that? And do we have to worry about nuclear weapons being used? There is no question that that's precisely what he meant. There was then, and that was underscored even more about a week before when he had a nuclear triad uh, exercise that he personally oversaw that had their, their nuclear missiles b uh, bases, their submarine launch missiles and their air launched missiles were all tested. And it was, unqu I mean, that was a pretty strong message just by itself. But then when he made that a uh, second comment, there was no question that that's what he meant. So yes, we do have to worry about that because he's saying our security is invaluable and if we feel we are threatened and our, and our borders are threatened, we're not, we're not taking nuclear weapons off the table. That's the big danger here is that we're, we're trying to you know, hold out NATO's open door for a country that we don't even want in when the possibility is it could result in a nuclear exchange, an escalation to nuclear exchange between Russia and the United States. And that is foolish to the extreme. And there's no gain to us. There's no possible benefit to taking that risk. So where does that leave us now? What action can we take to be sure we're in the best interest of our country and keeping us safe now that we're here? We should still do what I passionately recommended we do before war broke out, and that is just plainly acknowledge reality that this is not in our interest and we are taking any further NATO advancement off the table. We're just not even going to contemplate it any further. We're just going to shore up what we have and make sure our current boundaries are secure from any Russian incursion. That makes sense. Now, ironically, in one sense, it could be easier now because we can, we can make a pretty reasonable argument that to take it off the table now can save more Ukrainian lives because Putin is already in there. He's driving towards Kiev. He's destroying the Ukrainian military by the hour. So we can say, hey, sanctions aren't going to stop him or even slow him down. This has a chance to do so. And if you can make a deal with Putin, and he said just earlier today that he is willing to talk about that, a negotiated end to this right now, then we can stop the killing today and, and end the war before it gets even more ugly and solidify our own security in the process. That's what we should do. An agreement, and yet he would get to keep Ukraine. No. No, the agreement is that, that Ukraine declares neutrality. That's, that's what President Zelensky this morning said he's willing to talk about, and Peskov in Moscow said they're willing to negotiate that. So they, Putin does not want Ukraine, despite what anybody thinks. Really? He just wants a buffer between him and NATO. See, if he took Ukraine, then he would be building in a, a border with NATO. That's not what he wants. He wants a boundary and a buffer between the two. So whether that's Zelensky or if he wants to press it and, and you know, do a regime change and put someone else in there, then withdraw his forces back in there, that's what he wants to do. That's what he did in, in Georgia. He, he did not go into the rest of Georgia when he had the chance. He just went into those two provinces 
and then withdrew the bulk of their forces, leaving peacekeepers, which is what he's got in the Donbas right now. So that's his M.O., is that he just wants security on his border. He does not want the land. Last question. What do you foresee, despite what you think maybe ought to be done that could help, where do you think we're headed? Where I think we're headed is we're going to stay stubborn. We're going to stay uh, arrogant and say, no, we're not going to let anybody tell us what we can do, which is exactly what happened why we didn't give these guarantees before, and that the war is going to continue on, and that if Putin still doesn't get what he wants after he surrounds Kiev, which I think is the next tactical objective after basically reducing their armed forces to, to nothing, if they still don't give in, then I think eventually he'll order an assault to, to actually physically take out Zelensky and his, gr- and his group, and the bloodshed will just continue to rise. Because I think Putin has decided there's no point in, in going half measures now. I'm going all the way, and I'm either going to get it through negotiation or I'm going to get it through uh, military conquest. Consequences be damned. I think that he's already completely made that decision. And so I think that if we don't do what makes sense, that's what we're going to get. Odds we see any deployment of nuclear weapons in the next year? I, I certainly hope not. But, you know, you can see that if Putin actually, you know, follows through that path, the, the worst scenario, basically, and captures Ukraine, uh, that you could see that many people uh, on the West, I think Sweden, Finland, maybe saying, you know what, it's time for us to join NATO now that we're afraid. And now then that's going to raise the fears even more in Moscow. And now you're going to say, hey, maybe we should put some tactical nuclear weapons toward the eastern part. People are going to say that. Some people are already saying that. But after a full conquest, I think those voices would gain even more uh, currency and the danger to us all could continue to rise. So this could get a lot worse than it is. That's Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis. But we aren't finished with him quite yet. When we come back after a short break, more about his interesting background. Tasks, deadlines, and projects. What if your teams had a tool that brought everything together? Trello is the project management tool that powers collaboration for over 2 million teams across the globe, including 80% of Fortune 500s. Trello brings teams together by tracking daily to-dos and provides a high-level view across projects and teams. From product development and design to support and production, Trello helps all teams move their work forward together. Thousands of IT admins around the world trust Trello to keep their work safe. With Trello, your teams will have access to hundreds of top-tier integrations they can rely on. A big reason why Trello is top-rated for employee satisfaction. It's where companies do their best work. Trello for enterprise. Learn more by visiting trello.com slash for enterprise. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com slash for enterprise. We're back. And there's more than meets the eye to Colonel Davis, who just gave us his take on Ukraine and Russia. Here's an interview I conducted with him last year for my TV program, Full Measure. From Afghanistan to Iraq, a lot of military observers say America can't seem to win wars, even though we have the most powerful army on the planet. A new book examines why. It's called The 11th Hour in 2020 America, How America's Foreign Policy Got Jacked Up and How the Next Administration Can Fix It. I recently spoke with the author, former Army Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis. I began by asking about a controversy in 2012 when he went public with a report that claimed the surge of U.S. troops in Afghanistan was not a success. What was the upshot of what you said? The upshot is that the uh, senior leaders 
of our military and defense department knowingly were telling America that the war was getting better when they knew that it was not and it was going bad. And if something doesn't change, we were going to continue to eventually suffer a strategic defeat, which I think has happened in the last eight years. Those revelations brought Davis national notoriety as an active duty military officer blowing the whistle on how the U.S. war in Afghanistan was headed toward failure. Some likened Davis to anti-Vietnam War activist Daniel Ellsberg, who in 1971 released the Pentagon Papers, documents detailing how four administrations had misled the public about the degree of U.S. involvement in Vietnam. Daniel Ellsberg, ex-Pentagon employee, made history by leaking to the New York Times the Pentagon Papers. Because the documents were highly classified, Ellsberg was charged with espionage and conspiracy. During trial, it was learned the FBI illegally wiretapped Ellsberg and the case against him was dismissed. Why would you say, in a nutshell, it is that America can't seem to win wars? I, I believe that the, the, the most concise answer is because we don't understand what it means to even win wars. And I don't know if it's the fact that the civilian leaders just don't really understand what the military can do. It's wishful thinking. They hope that it works out this way. I'm not sure, but what I am absolutely sure about is that the missions that we have given the military over two decades at least are militarily unattainable and they're not even connected to a strategic outcome. And that is the biggest problem. It seems like as part of these wars, like in Afghanistan, after seeing what our troops are tasked to do, I would describe it as a lot of social work because they go into Afghanistan and they're supposed to rebuild the schools and tell the women that they can be anything they want to and get them involved in government and law enforcement and things that seem far removed from fighting a war. Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, and I saw that. I mean, as I was going through Afghanistan in 2010 and 2011, you know, I talked to all these brigade commanders, battalion commanders, company commanders, troops on the ground, the guys who actually went, you know, on the patrols. And that was all they were always talking about was we have built this many schools. We built this many kilometers of roads. Uh, you know, we helped these people here. We brought food into this place. And, you know, those are all nice things. But what does that have to do with winning a war? And how is that ever going to result in a military unit ending a war? That brings another comparison to Vietnam. Victory is tempered by mercy, as the Leathernecks distribute their own sea rations. The U.S. military strategy intended to win the hearts and minds of Vietnamese civilians against the communist Viet Cong was largely considered a failure. And then when you get into the more complicated situations like, well, let's have the government be less corrupt and let's have them be more effective and more efficient. Well, those aren't military tasks at all. We're neither equipped to do that, and it's just not something that the military is ever designed to do. But that's what we're trying to make them do. Is there any financial motivation to fight wars in the inefficient way that you described, do you think? Well, I, I mean, there is. It's beyond question that there is. And, you know, and a lot of it's not so much that, you know, People are, are running around and, you know, in the shadows and, you know, rubbing their hands and saying, yay, we can make a lot of money. It's, it's usually cloaked in patriotism. And, you know, we need this to defend our country and we have to have this bulwark out there. And so we need all of these, you know, extra troops here. We need to keep them there to keep from being attacked. And, yeah, that ends up making us money. So, yeah, that's good. But, but who's making the money? Are we talking about defense contractors, people who support the troops and build the equipment and so on? Yeah, I mean, look, we got to be honest. And, and the fact is that many of these members of Congress that either support these wars or fund them uh, or refuse to end them, are also the ones, it's just, it's just a fact, are the ones that get the biggest financial contributions from defense 
contractors and companies that make money off of these things. And then they have all these lobbyists that they spend millions of dollars every year convincing all these people, all these members of Congress, it's in your interest to do this. So you see those things and it's, it's people, it's a symbiotic relationship and the net, net result is these wars keep being fought. Davis says the big takeaway from his book is keep a strong military and use it to defend from any attack, but use diplomacy to deal with other problems. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will leave a review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and all the Just the News podcasts wherever you like to listen. Now you can support independent journalism causes by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the Store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. All right, folks, all of you know the story about my crick in my neck and how I bought a MyPillow a few years ago, and all of a sudden, my neck just healed up. In fact, the orthopedist couldn't figure out what the heck had John done. I, it was simple. I just bought one of Mike Lindell's pillows, and I all of a sudden found I wasn't sleeping right on my pillow. Mike's pillows did the trick. Well, guess what? He's done it again. He's got something new. He's now introducing his new My Slippers. You want the best slipper ever, the best foot experience late at night. Well, Mike has got, he took over two years to develop this. He designed it to wear this slipper indoor and outdoor all day long. It's comfortable, it's durable. It's made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue in the slipper. And it's made with quality leather suede. They look good, they feel good, they wear good. For a limited time now, Mike is offering 50% off his new My Slippers. You will also receive a free book with any purchase. The My Slippers are so comfortable that you'll want to get some for the whole family. It's a great gift, especially heading into springtime. So here, here's what you do. You go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's easy to remember, right? The promo code JUSTNEWS and you will get deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets the MyPillow mattress topper, and of course, the MyPillow towel set. And don't forget, y'all want those my slippers. You got to have them. They're incredible. Here's another way you can take advantage of this. You can call 800-951-3715 and use the promo code JUSTNEWS when someone picks up. Call 800-951-3715. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. Pretty simple stuff for the best slipper sheet pillow experience of your life. Acorns is an app that modernizes the way you manage your finances. It works in the background of your life by combining banking and investing into one seamless experience. Every time you get paid, Acorns can invest a piece of it. You can even get paid up to two days in advance, which is perfect for setting money aside and paying off your bills well before they're due. And every time you make a purchase on things like gas, groceries, or whatever, Acorns can round up your spare change and invest it into diversified portfolios that could grow over time. In fact, on average, Acorns users invest $490 a year from their spare change alone. Not only are these portfolios built by experts, they're customized to your current financial situation and your long-term money goals. And if you're crypto curious, you can even allocate up to 5% of your portfolio in a Bitcoin-linked ETF to diversify your investments even further. Start investing with Acorns and get a bonus $10 in investments when you sign up at acorns.com slash invest10. Remember to consider your investment objectives before investing. For further information and disclosures, visit acorns.com.